Alright, hey, hi, hello everyone. Welcome to My Favorite Failures and our second official interview. I'm your host, Michael. <laughs> no, not that one. And today, we're talking about comedy. And you know what? Comedy writing, and, uh, and writing comedy for TV, and maybe even being on TV. I have a little experience on TV sets, and, uh... I have even more experience as a class clown. I think a lot of us do. I think we've definitely started defining ourselves culturally by our sense of humor. I mean, meme culture has definitely taken control of the internet and popular entertainment. But like, God forbid I get asked to do a stand-up set, right? Like, can you imagine that stage fright? The bright lights? The beady eyes of a drunk audience begging for you to make them feel anything other than unbridled complacency? Make us laugh, funny man. They're heckling, turning your thoughts into tapioca. Your mouth dry as the sands of Zanzibar. You might vomit. You might faint. I know I would. But my guest today, well, he's made a living out of making people laugh. Charming audiences with his calming voice and wholesome humor. He'll share some of his favorite failures from his time working in comedy. And you know what? Stick around after the show for a performance by a special musical guest. But first... If you like the show and want to hear more, check us out at myfavoritefailures.com. Give us a like and a follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you know what? Feel free to check us out on Instagram. The handle is myfavoritefailures, one word. And feel free to follow me on Twitter at notthatmichael. But enough about me. We've got a show to do. Roll the theme song! Ladies and gentlemen, Attention Gilla Media proudly presents... Try. Favorite failures! Alright, joining me today is a very talented, kind, and funny man. You've seen his stand-up on Conan with appearances on other late-night talk shows like Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert. I suppose the logical next step for famous talk show hosts would be me, right? Uh, the star of Adult Swim's Joe Para talks with you. Joe Para. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. I kind of just want to dive right into this thing. Um, you've developed a pretty solid fan base over the last few years, but for those who maybe aren't so familiar with your work. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Maybe where you're from and I, I guess how you found your way into comedy and TV? Um, I am from Buffalo, New York originally, and I uh, started doing stand-up when I was in in, in uh, college. And then afterwards, I moved to New York and been doing it for over 10 years now. And that kind of led to the adult swim show and a bunch of other stuff but um yeah it all kind of came from just doing stand-up and and, and and making short films and stuff kind of guided by them and i think it's fair to say that um you <laughs> you have a, a pretty unique presence uh and a pretty unique voice in both the world of stand-up comedy as well as tv um, and I'm sure you've had plenty of people wondering where the line between fact and fiction sort of gets drawn for the character you portray uh, and who you are as a person. Um, and I know a lot of stand-ups work for years developing an original voice to capture audiences' attention. So I, I guess my, my question that others are really curious about is what inspired your artistic persona? Um, I guess, was the character of Joe Para a challenge to create or was it something that came naturally to you? Or I, I don't know, is the better question, is there even a character at all? Uh, 
I guess for the, the television show, I just had to, I didn't want to do a show where I was a stand-up comedian in New York. So I kind of um, uh, chose a profession that a lot of friends have, which is a choir teacher. I went to, to school with a lot of friends who uh, went on to become uh, choir teachers. And um, I always liked the job and I liked uh, music and singing a lot. So it just was a kind of an it seemed to be a good fit. And that's uh, why I decided on that for the show. Was there ever a time where you yourself actually considered being a choir teacher? Uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, I always wanted to give comedy a go, uh, but um, I don't know. I, I guess it would, yeah, I, I, would, I would consider it. Maybe, who knows, things, uh, you know, might still have an opportunity to be a choir teacher someday sure sure i mean why not um with everything that you're doing as it is i mean writer star comedian the world's your oyster joe um uh and your your brand of comedy is i i guess like the most notable thing is that it's like super refreshingly kind and wholesome right like that's how people recognize the voice of joe para um, I think that our generation has become a little jaded, maybe, uh, a little infatuated with like cynicism and shock comedy. Um, I'm, I'm definitely guilty, uh, of, of falling into that a little bit. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, but when I first saw your standup, um, as well as the show, um, and I think others too, I mean, I was kind of floored at how funny your material is without relying on vulgarity, um, so I guess what made you want to do this kind of comedy? And I don't know, maybe who were some of your biggest influences getting into this? Mm, I don't, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't didn't set out with um, particular, you know, goals or, or guidelines. It's just kind of what I found funny. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think, yeah, I don't think the, yeah, the show kind of comes from a bunch of different, perspectives like me and, and Connor O'Malley's and Joe Firestone and Dan Licato who write the show so we all come at it from different places but um, I, uh, I don't know I guess it's just the, the things that I thought are, were, were, were funny and make me laugh the hardest kind of what you would make it into the show uh, influences I don't, I don't know I, I guess they, they change a little bit every season but uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, sure. There's a lot. There's too many to name. That's totally fair. Um. So so going back to Connor and Firestone and all those guys, what's uh, what's that collaborative environment f like for you guys? I mean, um, I know that a bunch of you had take different writing credits for the episodes. Um, and Marty uh, is obviously directing across the board. Right. Yes, Marty uh, as well. Yeah. So how do you guys tackle that for a cohesive season? I kind of come in with some ideas and stuff I've been doing stand-up-wise. And then we kind of have a like a blue sky period is what uh, they, call, they call it, where you just kind of everybody tosses out ideas and you see what sticks and what... Um, I what kind of coheres into a season, and then so we'll kind of just put the pieces, little pieces and bits uh, and story ideas on the board that everybody's pitched and kind of uh, 
divvy up the specific episode writing uh, to kind of like everybody's strengths. And, um, uh, you know, so we, the grocery store episode was definitely Connor's because uh, it's something he feels passionate about and um, is excited by. And everybody kind of takes what they're most excited by. And um, I don't know. We've only done it twice now, so we're still kind of figuring it out ourselves. But I think it's just a lot of trying to make each other laugh and what feels right. And that's kind of a hard thing to the, to describe or explain because a lot of it just comes down to gut feeling on what will work and what won't. Because we're all live performers, I think we've kind of developed instincts that at least will uh, kind of our, uh, strengthen our, our compass a little bit towards that. But still, I would say we don't know what we're doing and uh, are kind of figuring it out each time. So if we're lucky enough to do another season, we'll uh, you know have to come into the process and we, we've got ideas to how to make it better but connor's the only one who's written in like a, a writer's room that's uh not for this show and uh he was on seth myers for a while but that was even like a late night show so doing the narrative show we're all kind of making it up and uh trying to just see what uh, is most interesting to us either decision by decision i mean i think that's super great um I mean, if, 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 if Joe Para talks with you is the product of a bunch of people not entirely sure of what they're doing and experimenting with things, uh, I can't wait to see what happens when you guys figure it out because, frankly, the show's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I might be a little bit biased having worked on it, you know? <laughs> but, uh, like, please, everyone keep watching the show because I need a paycheck and Joe helps me get one. Uh, <laughs> but for everyone else, I mean, people love the show. And um, that's that's something to be super proud of um i'm not trying to just you know fluff you here it, it really is um especially because it is such a unique tone and voice and structure that you guys landed on and um it's really awesome to hear especially because you know a lot of people really aren't sure how to approach their creative endeavors or how to collaborate with other people so you know a lot of the times you know i know as as a struggling filmmaker uh, and 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 my peers know as well you know as well that you know it, it, at, at the end of the day, it really is just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks with you and your friends, trying to make each other laugh and, and entertaining each other and then following through with it. So the fact that you guys have done that um, and made such a viable and, and entertaining and, I mean, ultimately wholesome and, and funny project uh, is is really reassuring, I guess. Um, but going off of that reassurance, uh, I guess the, the show is called My Favorite Failures, and we are trying to, you know, help the people who are struggling out there see that their heroes and the people they look up to have also gone through some rough patches. So I guess uh, I do have a few friends who are, are stand-ups or aspiring stand-ups, yeah. and I know a lot of aspiring comedians who who struggle to sort of get into the business and struggle with their sets and developing a voice and all that would you be able to share with us a story that sort of stands out for you from your past maybe something about a time where you may have made a mistake yourself that helped you learn how to hone your craft and i don't know was there a stand-up set that went wrong or a pitch meeting you weren't sure how to approach with the show or anything like that yeah i mean uh, i was thinking about it this morning and uh i mean i think that that's what's great about stand-up and why i think it's uh, helped is you know everybody says you, it's just um 
I don't want to say the more you learn from from you know the bombs because I think uh, you could also you know not bomb and learn stuff from the set, but it's just about being able to test new things and ideas so frequently and getting that feedback so quickly. And I think uh, it's given me kind of an advantage in of, of making making film and TV and like. Um, we do a lot of uh, 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 script readings out loud, and like a lot of the stuff that we write for the show, I'll uh, test on stage while kind of like during the writing process. I'm still doing stand-up, so I can take jokes to the stage. Um, both times that we've written the show, I've done like a, a weekend of shows at a, a, a theater in New York, and it's just kind of like to throw everything at the wall of what I've been working about and thinking on. And um, I know not everybody's a stand-up and has the opportunity to do that, but I think you know the more shorts everybody can make, or just even bringing scripts to uh, a lot, you know, a handful of friends and read it out loud. I think um, I forget who was saying. I think it was even like David Sedaris said that he polished his writing through his his uh, public readings. And I thought that that was kind of neat that a, a, a writer, you know, who you think is, uh, you know, putting stuff on the page is uh, uh, getting uh, 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 or using that live feedback. I, I think it's, I think it's the best tool that I've figured out because I'm not, I don't have a perfect ear, or perfect sense of anything, but it kind of will help you. That that immediate response from a live audience will help you sharpen things a lot. And like I said, it could be just taking it in front of a few friends, having to stand up and seriously read it for their feedback and take the good and the bad, because uh, I think that that's that's helped a lot. In terms of like, I mean, I could give you dozens of stand-up sets that went poorly. Um, one time I performed in a, uh, at a casino, and I think that they in outside of Buffalo maybe like 45 minutes on Native American reservation. And I think that they, all the casinos have like an obligation to provide enough non-gambling entertainment to people who are there. Uh, I don't know. There's something, there's a law about it, but anyhow, so they need to hire live performers. And basically me and another comedian had to like face the casino floor and do a set and it wasn't like a theater or anything it was like a uh, uh 20 feet away from the machines that were going off and it was a hundred dollar pay but to stand up there uh, for 15 minutes and it was early on in my career so i didn't know how to you know accept that it was an impossible situation to to win as a performer um and you get performances where you, you know, just you have to kind of just eat the time. But it was uh, pretty miserable, especially because uh, two of the four audience members were my dad, who came out to see me for one of the first times, as well as uh, my neighbor from across the street. Who uh, so it was like bombing that hard in front of my dad and. Uh, uh, on a casino floor that was rough and I don't know I mean I don't know if there's too many lessons to be gleaned off of that other than don't perform on a casino floor or maybe be easy on yourself in, in situations as 
near impossible. Uh, uh, because, you know, what are they going to do? The machines aren't going to shut off and people aren't going to turn and give up gambling and come listen to a 22-year-old stand-up comedian. It's just uh, not going to happen. Um, I performed in the bake back of like a the all comedy show in the back of an Italian bakery and the only audience members were the, the owner of the bakery and his four four year old buddies um, and I won them all over a little bit by telling some uh, sex jokes I was like well this is gonna hit but also that was uh, tough to stare down uh, uh, you know a bunch of uh, old Italian guys who uh, you know I don't think we're interested in an all comedy show, which is fine. And I feel like I, I should be able to make them laugh, even if it's just doing the sex jokes at the end. But that was tough. But I guess one one failure that I learned a lot from was um was this contest called the Andy Kaufman Awards. It was run by his family, and um, uh, you basically submit a video of your stand up and. Uh, and they have a live competition where they would decide who's doing kind of like interesting and comedy. And there was a, a small cash prize, which was like a lot of money when I was just starting out. I might have been $1,000, but I was like, if I could get that $1,000, I would be set for uh, a few months and uh, could or could make a short film or something. So I applied and I submitted my stand up and I thought it was very good but um they didn't select me one year so then the next year i decided to make like uh you know i the, came up with like a foolproof what i thought was a foolproof plan and i made like a short film kind of about what i've been doing in the past year to get ready for this year's contest and um to, to play before my actual stand-up entry clip at the end and it was I thought very good and they still didn't uh, select it for the contest and it was uh, it was I thought at the time like you know it was it was a bummer not to get selected and but also putting so much work in uh, it didn't I was you know I couldn't understand why I, I wasn't selected and it was a I guess a ego thing and like I didn't deserve it any more than anybody else but I made that video so then the next year I made like an even bigger video and I, I um, put more time into it and effort and uh, uh, I had a friend film it and uh, it wasn't like a huge budget production but I, I spent a lot of effort and put writing into this video which they weren't even asking for at all they just want a stand up clip anyhow I didn't get selected again. In the meanwhile, people from the comedy scene would watch these videos and it got me uh, more kind of like laughs and exposure than the contest ever would have. And in the end, uh, Andy Kaufman's brother actually reached out and asked me to perform on the show, even though they rejected uh, uh, both of the videos. And um, we've been fr friendly ever, ever since. And it was, it was fun, and I, I, uh, I never won the contest, but just by kind of like, you know, putting my own, even though I kept getting rejected, I kind of had this creative way of 
dealing with it and um, making something uh, that I think helped more than, like I said, even if I had won the contest, it would have done. So even though I didn't get the the thousand dollars or the satisfaction of winning, it, it didn't matter at all because I, I was just able to keep making stuff. And I think that that's, um, I think that that's kind of a, a, a good lesson that I thought came from like these these failures and it was just kind of funny how it was year after year but that's all that, that mattered was to keep making stuff and I think at the end of the day that's the only thing that's really served me well is to constantly do stand-up sets and videos big and small and films and uh, most of the stuff I watch is kind of I, I don't want to go watch my old stuff because it made me cringe too hard but um it's just the process of starting over and over again. And I thought that was kind of like a nice example of not succeeding in the way you want, but kind of uh, figuring it out in the meanwhile. I don't, uh, one time I was doing the audition for Montreal Comedy Fest and I thought it was funny to skateboard off the stage and, uh, uh, the, the, the guy didn't like it but uh, I thought that that was also a win I did not get the Montreal Comedy Fest but I I did the funniest thing possible at the moment and I think uh, that's always the best thing so it was I don't know just not care about winning as much as going over the top in your participation and trying hard that's all that's my thoughts that's great that's Joe thank you so much for sharing all that um I, I especially appreciate uh, your note on not taking losses so hard and being kind to yourself. Um, I know that a lot of creatives, I mean, when, when you're working in a creative industry and you're forced to rely on sort of your own ingenuity, there comes a lot of self-doubt and, and concerns with your public image and how uh, your passions are translating out into the public and whether or not they're going to be received well, and sometimes they're not. Um, and uh, I, I think it's super important for everyone to always remember to sort of just be kind to yourself in those moments and continue to make stuff and, and, and try again and, uh, and work where you can to, to make the things that you care about with the people who ultimately care about it. Um, and I think that you've managed to accomplish that uh, in, in phenomenal ways um, that now the rest of the world truly appreciates. So thank you for everything you've done and all your hard work getting to where you're going because I know that your your stand-up, your voice, your show uh, with all your collaborators uh, means a lot to a lot of people. Um, I guess uh, before we head out and wrap up this interview, um, what are you working on now? Is there anything coming up that people should be aware of? Uh, what's, what's Joe Para doing amidst this COVID-19 crisis? Uh, well... Uh, my girlfriend just finished uh, making eggs in uh, tomato sauce, and uh, so as soon as we finish, I'm gonna uh, go eat some of that. That's an immediate. Uh, I guess uh, I guess I've been keeping an ear out for ways that I could be helpful, and like some of the venues that uh, I perform at to, to donate to the staff, and just kind of trying to find work for me and friends in the meanwhile to kind of keep as many people employed as possible throughout this because it's kind of scary in film production. So those are my kind of 
immediate goals. I don't know. Uh, in terms of what I'm working on, uh, I'm reading, uh, I'm just trying to write, and my one friend has suggested we read this old Japanese novel that's a thousand pages, and uh, I, I can't, uh, I was kind of putting it off, but now I can't because there's so much time, so now I'm stuck reading this book. So that's all the thing I'm uh, uh, working on Tale of Genji. Check it out. Thousand years old. Oh, Tale of Genji. Yeah, no, I know it well. Uh, I've not gotten yeah. to read it yet, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a, it's a little bit daunting. Uh, I have a couple of friends who've tried it out and uh, have scared me away from it. <laughs> uh, oh boy, really? They didn't like it. I don't know if it's that they didn't like it, but uh, I like my books a uh, hundred page long. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Um, well, we'll see. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a key in that ancient book to figuring out uh, what to do right now. We'll see. But mostly uh, a lot of talk about uh, chrysanthemums. Sure. And for everyone who's cooped up at home uh, during the uh, coronavirus scares, uh, looking for entertainment, anyone who may not have seen Joe Para Talks with you, uh, where can they watch that? It's on, um, some are free on adultswim.com. Um, also, you can get it on Hulu. For free if you're a subscriber i guess that's not free or you can buy it on itunes amazon or any other place um uh yeah yeah that's it well joe thanks yeah. so much for joining us uh i know you got some eggs and tomato sauce to get to uh hope you enjoy <laughs> that stay warm stay healthy um thanks. and uh we'll see you hopefully in season three yeah fingers crossed Ladies and gents, be sure to give Joe a follow on Instagram and on Twitter if you get the chance. A ton of his stand-up is also available on YouTube if you haven't had the pleasure of seeing it. But for now, I'm going to leave you folks with our first ever musical guest, Dogbad. That's D-O-G-B-A-D. One word. They're a band out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and right now, locals can hear them on FM 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. They have three singles out on Spotify, so give that a follow. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at DogBadBand. They've got new music coming soon. Here's their song, Close Shave. This is Michael signing off. You folks fuck off and go do something good. She was some kind of optical illusion. I had to see if she was real. Looking on Egypt and through the conversation. The body makes a snag, and I guess she is the whole ass mirror. And she knows that the world revolves around her because I turned my back and she was gone. I think she knows that the world revolves around her because I turned my back and she was gone.
Let's have a shake your hands for the devil's deal.